But hey, it is Easter, it is October, and it doesn't make sense, but who cares? We're here and we're going to do this. And I, I started thinking about just like food that I like, okay? And we do this thing with food where we take a good thing and then we, like it could be better, but we put limitations on it and it's not as good as it can be. I'm going to give you two marshmallow examples, okay? Uh, one is s'mores. The concept of a s'more, like I got a yes over there, like that is someone, yes. Um, like s'mores, like there's, s'mores are great, right? Like you got two graham crackers, a marshmallow, and a Hershey's bar, like that just you know, melted perfectly. It's, it's, it's really nice, but I would just say to that, that's actually a very limiting way of looking at a s'more. A couple, a couple years ago, someone said, you know, you don't have to just put Hershey's on there. You don't. You can actually put any type of chocolate bar on a s'more. I discovered that you can put, if you put Reese's on there, it's actually emotionally magnificent, and you should go home and try it. <laughs> but it's like, it's a, good th- it's a good concept, right? Like, it makes a lot of sense, but you... You limit yourself by just saying, well, it has to be a Hershey's bar. Well, if you put a Reese's on there, it might be even better. And if you like an Almond Joy, then you're crazy, but you can put that on there too. I'm just saying it's going to be better with what you like. We do it with hot chocolate too. When I was a kid, I grew up with one type of hot chocolate, the watery stuff with the marshmallows in it. Obviously, I didn't grow up liking hot chocolate. But then I went to Silver Dollar City. It was Christmas time. Getting ready to buy some overly priced thing and whatever. And I see this thing called the Works Hot Chocolate. Boys and girls. <laughs> I don't even like hot chocolate, but that is so good. You got marshmallows, you got this whipped cream they put on top of it, they put candy bars on there, and here's the, they'll drop a little one of those uh, candy canes, they drop it in there, and then you get to eat it at the end like a dessert. I'm telling you, it is incredible. You take something that's like good, and then they make it great. And here's what I wonder if we do this with Easter, Okay. Easter is something that is the greatest story that has ever happened, that's ever been told, that we've ever experienced. And what do we do with it? We say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to tell it once a year. Right? I mean, think about the story. Think about the concept that the creator of the world knows your name, cares about you, cares about you so much that he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to leave heaven and I'm going to die for them so that not only can they know me, but so that they can spend eternity with me forever in heaven. There is not a greater story in the world than that. Because here's the thing, each of us are in it. Because he was thinking of all of us when he did it. But even though I like the idea of Easter and October still feels maybe weird, but maybe it feels weird because we're putting limits on something that really we should never put limits on. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Easter story. And since we've been in John's gospel all of this, this season, looking at his different miracles, we're going to just look at his Easter story. And so if you've got your Bible, we'll be in John chapter 20, and we'll start in verse 1. And, and what we'll do this morning is we'll just walk through it a few verses at a time, and, and we'll stop and, and talk about it, but we'll start in chapter 1. I'm going to go through verse 3. It says this, now, now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark and saw that the, sto- that, that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, now this is the one who Jesus loved. That's, talk- that's John talking about himself, and he wrote this. Now, 
They've taken, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter and the other disciple, so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. Now, this is a very interesting uh, circumstance to me. Okay, you have, you have Mary. She goes to the tomb three days after Jesus died. And, and what I think is interesting is that when, when Mary goes to the tomb, what is she expecting to see? She's expecting to see a sealed tomb with a body in it. And you think of everything that Jesus has done, everything that Jesus has said, she goes to the tomb with the expectation of just mourning her teacher who passed away. And the reason why I find this so interesting is because Jesus told them on numerous occasions what to expect in this very moment. She goes to the tomb, there's it's empty. She assumes the body's stolen. She goes and tells Peter and John, hey, the tomb is empty. They assume the body's stolen, so they all come back to the tomb. But it's interesting because Jesus actually told them this was going to happen. I want to show you three examples in Matthew's gospel of Jesus saying this is what they should be expecting anyways. Here you go. Uh, Matthew 16. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed, and on the third day raised. That's Matthew 16. Matthew 17, Jesus says to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And then in Matthew 20, Jesus says, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. They go to the tomb on the third day. There's no body in the tomb on the third day. And they're all like, someone must have stole the body. Like, that is, their, that is what they think happened. He told them three times this was going to happen. And here's the thing. So before we give them, like, a real hard time about it, this is something we do with, with, with centuries and, and when people lived in time frames that weren't ours. We look at them and we think, oh man, those people, of course they believed this. I mean, they were given to superstition. They're not rational like us folks in the 21st century. We would have needed proof, but they just, they just believed in magic, so clearly they accepted this thing. And I would just say to you, Think of all they saw Jesus do. They saw him feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. <laughs> they saw him run a 5K on the Sea of Galilee to get to their boat. They, they, they saw him take people who had never walked before and give them the ability to walk, and he did so also with blind people. And, and, and he also, talking of death, we looked at this last week, he, he actually raised someone from death. And after he did, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. They had multiple reasons where they could have trusted that this was going to happen. But still there was something because the idea of someone raising from the dead was just so crazy to them. 
that they needed more proof. Like Mary needed more proof than going to an empty tomb. That John and Peter, they needed more proof than hearing that the tomb was empty. They just, they needed more. And so Jesus, in his grace, we see him do that as we continue to move forward in the story. Looking at verse, <clears throat> verse 4. It says this, Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. This does not need to be in the Bible. <laughs> it just, it doesn't. Like, that is a detail that is not needed, but John wants us to know he's faster than Peter, and so I just want to acknowledge that right now. John kind of gets a bad rap this morning here at New Life. Like, he's going to, in heaven, he's going to be like, hey, let me show you something you said about me. And I'm going to be like, I didn't say it. And, okay, verse 5. <laughs> and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first, is like, I just want to make sure you know I'm faster than Peter, <laughs> also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must raise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. Now, this is what John needed to believe. He'd heard Jesus say, I'll raise on the third day. He heard him say it. Mary goes and says the tomb is empty, and he doesn't initially believe it. He has to go, and he sees the empty tomb for himself. And in that moment, he, he believes. Now, he's the only one there who does. Like for Peter, he needed more, and, and we, unfortunately, we're not going to show you how, what Peter needed, but, um, but Peter needed more, and he got it, and even Mary. Like Mary needed, she needed more. But for John, he goes in and he, he, he sees the clothes. And once he sees the clothes in that moment, he believes. And you might say, well, what is it about the clothes? Like it could have been rational. <clears throat> like what he saw in the clothes could have been perfectly rational. It could be that he thought, you know what? If someone would have stolen his body and it was someone who loved Jesus, they would have left his clothes on him. I mean, he could play that. And if, if someone, and if someone who didn't love Jesus stole his body, they probably wouldn't have cared about his clothes. They certainly wouldn't have folded them up the way they were folded. And so, for John, whatever the case might have been, that was enough. And it says that he saw and he believed. But notice, though, like in, in fairness to John, like he, he obviously wants to know how fast he is, but but he also is very honest about this moment for him too. He's like, though I believed in this moment, I still didn't like fully understand. Like he, he says that. He says, there are just things that I, I didn't understand. And there could be a lot of things. It could be that you know, he, he didn't, what he didn't understand was he didn't understand how the Old Testament was pointing to this the whole time. Like he probably hadn't figured that out yet. He also probably, in that moment, he didn't, he, so Jesus rose from the dead, but he probably didn't realize in that moment like what it meant for him that Jesus rose from the dead. He probably didn't realize that as Jesus raising from the dead, like this is a whole new thing happening. Like there are parts of it where he's like, okay, I, I have enough in seeing this to believe in him, but there are still things 
that I'm not ready for yet. And isn't, isn't that our story? Like you come to faith in Christ, and, and as you come to faith in Christ, like you, you do so, and it's like, okay, I, I, I know I believe in this. I know that there's elements of this where God is asking certain things of me. I know that, that there's something about my life that's going to have to change because I believe this. But I don't really know how this is going to... I mean, isn't that how it starts? It starts with this moment where you're like, you know what, I just... I believe. And, and what we see with John is that John didn't just stay there. Like, he wasn't... He didn't understand then, but when he wrote his gospel, he probably understood at that point what it meant. And God ends up calling John to something really, really incredible. And the truth is, that's the truth for all of us too. That as God saves us, he calls us to more. But the problem is there's so many people. God calls you to more. And you just sit there and you don't take that step. It's a good thing John did because we wouldn't have this account. And, and, and we see, we really do see that John didn't fully understand this. Because you, you see it in verse 10. Like if you look at the last verse of this account, it's so, it sits so weird to me. Like John's like, I believe the resurrection, like this, okay, Jesus is going to rise from the dead. And it says, and the disciples went back to their homes. <laughs> like the culmination of their faith, they're like, John's like, well... I guess we go home and then we'll fish tomorrow. Like, I mean, he doesn't know what to do. And it just further shows, like, there, there's an element of growth. And so, the, so, so John and Peter, they decide, okay, we're going to go back. John believes Peter at this moment doesn't. And Mary, Mary does, she doesn't, go, she doesn't go back. They go back, but she says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stay here. And I, judging by what's about to happen, I think that she's, she's pretty glad that she does. Look at this. Verse 11. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped in to look into the tomb. Like she's, like, she's like hoping that he's there. Like she keeps going. She's already looked once. Like what is there to see? But she goes back in. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. I mean, there's so many things I wonder. Like, I wonder, why did she stay? Like, what more was there to, to do? We don't know. Like, does, the Bible doesn't say. I also wonder if her and John had a conversation. Like, John be, says he believes in that. He believed in that moment. Like, but Mary clearly didn't. She stayed back. She's still looking for a body. Like, I wonder, did John, like, say something to her? Did John, like, or did he just kind of keep what he believed to himself? We don't, we don't know. Like, Scripture doesn't say it, so it must not be that important. But, he, but here you have Mary. She's staying back, really, really 
sad. And this shows us something about humans. And, it, and really, humans and our emotions. And it shows us how our emotions have a way when we let them drive the train of causing us to miss some really beautiful things. Some really important things that could be happening right in front of us, but we miss them because we can get so wrapped up in our emotions. I mean, think of anger. How many times in anger have you said something and you're just like, oh man, I cannot, I'm so embarrassed that came out. Like you miss the situation or, or you were angry and, and you took something that you wanted to say and you just took it way too far because you were, like, you look back rationally and you're like, man, that was a regret. Well, what we see here in the text is we see that not only does anger do that, but also sadness can do that too. That you have Mary in this moment that she is so sad about what is happening that she misses the fact that she is talking to angels and the Lord Jesus Christ after he rose from the dead. I mean, if you consider the Bible, when people come into the presence of angels, what happens? They become horrified. They fall on their knees, and the first words out of angels' mouths are, fear not. Mary is so sad that she doesn't realize who she's talking to. And then she talks to the risen Jesus, who she had spent time with. And, and obviously there's something about him that's different than it was when he would have been there on earth. But still, she's in the presence of Jesus. She thinks he's a gardener. She thinks, he, she thinks the gardener took the body. And, and this is what our emotions do. This is what happens when we let sadness just drive the train. Is that what happens if we don't, if we don't catch it? then what we start assuming is we just start assuming, assuming the very worst possible outcome all the time. Because in Mary's situation, and really for us interpreting this, this story through her lens, the worst possible thing that could have happened in John 20 was the body of Jesus being stolen. That there's nothing worse that, that could have happened. If the body was stolen, then here's what that means. That means that if he's just a teacher or whatever, that means that his body was probably stolen by people who didn't like him. And judging by the way that he died, they were probably going to do something with that body that would disgrace his life. And that's what she's assuming is possible. But if you think about it from our perspective, and from Mary's perspective, if, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, even though he said three times he was going to raise, then what does that really mean for Mary and for us? That if he did not raise, then Mary has no hope. If he did not raise, then that means that you have to start questioning everything that he said and everything that he did. And even for us, why is Easter such an important holiday for the Christian? Because everything that we believe hangs on the fact that his body wasn't stolen from the tomb, but that he rose from the grave. If the body was stolen, Mary and us 
we have no hope. But the good news is it wasn't. The good news is the body was not Jesus rose. And what happens is that in this situation, you see Jesus. I mean, he has every reason to be annoyed with Mary. She didn't believe, like he's, I said three times this was going to happen. Like he has every reason to, to, to come down hard, but what Jesus does, realizing probably her humanity, is in grace, he reveals himself to her. Look at this. Verse 15. Supposing him to be the gardener, Mary said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. This interaction reminds me of something Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 3. Jesus says that, that the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. That Jesus calls Mary by her name when she's in despair and he brings her out of despair by calling her by name. That's what God does for us with Easter. Like, he knows, he knows your name. And he, Easter shows us that he's willing to call your name to bring you out of despair, to bring you out of the hopelessness that you might feel, that he will call your name. I mean, Mary could have continued to ignore it. She could have continued to treat him like a gardener, but when he called her name, she knew who he was. And what I can tell you about Jesus is that he, he continues to call people's names. That even if you're, here, if you're here and you are a Christian, the reason why you believe is because at some point in your life, you felt God call your name and you responded. For some of you, maybe you're here and you're, trying to, you're wrestling with this whole faith thing. You're trying to figure out if this is something you really want to do, if this is something that you really want to believe. And the truth is, like, he's... He's calling your name. And you have to ask yourself, what, what am I going to do with the fact that he calls my name? And even if as he calls it, we wrestle, maybe we don't get the things we want, like that, that's okay. What are you going to do when he calls your name? And what's so interesting with Mary, okay, is that, that she has an expectation of Jesus in this text that would have been horrible for her and horrible for us, and Jesus, in his grace, helps her see this. So Jesus shows up to Mary, and he shows up to her in physical, bodily form, and Mary grabs onto him as tightly as she can, because her thought is, I'm going to hold on really tight so that he'll never leave me again. And this is what Jesus says to her. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene, she went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. 
and he has said these things to her. You know, this moment, I don't think Mary knew what she was asking. I mean, she's saying, Jesus, please don't leave physically. Please stay with me. And, and Jesus is like, that would be really bad if I did. There's a few reasons why. One is that if, if he stayed with her physically, I mean, Jesus would be limited. He could only be where he is. If you wanted to hear his voice, you'd have to be in the same room. That if you wanted to interact with him, and you had to, you'd have to be in the place where he could do that with you. And, and so if he stays, like, he'd be physically limited. But he's saying to Mary, and he's saying this to her, he's saying, Mary, if, but if I leave, if I ascend and I go to the Father, that you are going to be able to have a greater level of intimacy with me. And not only you, but everybody can. As I close, I think of how, how Tim Keller said it, and he said, Jesus is saying to Mary, he's saying, Mary, if you let me go, I will live in your heart forever. But if I stay, you can only be in my presence. And that promise isn't just true for Mary, it's also true for us. That because Jesus ascended to the Father, that means for us that we get this privilege of having Jesus in our hearts forever, wherever we go, whatever we face. And so as we celebrate Easter, and I mean, we were well aware that it doesn't, doesn't matter what day it is that you celebrate it, but what matters is that you celebrate it. This is what we're celebrating. This is what we're reminding ourselves about. We're reminding ourselves that Jesus that he is so powerful that he conquered death. And, if, and if, if death couldn't stop him, then what can? That if the grave couldn't hold him, then what is it that can hold him? But not only that, we're also celebrating this reality that is he, because he conquered grave, the grave, he ascended to the Father, and in ascending to the Father, we get him in our hearts. That we get this intimacy with God because Jesus chose to go there. And that there will be a culmination of all of this where we live with Jesus forever in heaven. That Easter is a reminder of that.